0: Empire Are you ready for some dystopian football?
1: You know, every Super Bowl party you go to, there's the casual fans who are just there for the party that might not necessarily be watching if they're by themselves at home. So I think there's a lot of mystery sort of surrounding what impact this is going to have on viewership.
0: That's Alex Silverman from Morning Consult, breaking down all the numbers of the strangest Super Bowl of our lifetime. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Super Bowl parties are kind of no-nos this year. Betting's easier, but will people actually partake in it? You'd be surprised at the answer to that. How do eyeballs get affected if there are many more TVs on the big game, but less mass audiences gathered to watch it? This is a really, really odd Super Bowl week, as Alex Silverman studied for Morning Consult. What a strange Super Bowl week. Got an incredible matchup, but man oh man, everything else about it? Boy, it's tough to explain. Let's welcome in Alex Silverman, who's got the data behind everything that's going on with the Super Bowl with Morning Consult. Hey, Alex, how are you? Great to catch up with you.
1: Hey, Bram. Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Uh, Just give me a general overview of what are you looking at in what is the strangest Super Bowl week ever? What are the things that mattered to you that you wanted to monitor?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, the Super Bowl is more than just a sporting event. It's just something that brings so many Americans together uh, in a normal year. And so I think one of the things that, uh, we have an eye on is, is how many Americans are, are planning on watching the game together. Um, and it's, it's down more than 20% from, uh, from previous years, uh, with just, uh, one in four likely viewers saying they plan on watching, um, without, or I'm sorry, watching with, um, with people from outside their household. So, um, much fewer Super Bowl parties than in previous years, and I think a lot of people are wondering um what impact that's gonna have on on viewership for the game. yeah, and it's really unprecedented., uh, so it's kind of hard to say I mean, uh, on one hand, um, it could boost household ratings in the sense that you might have m- more uh, separate television sets tuned into the game. But you know, every Super Bowl party you go to, there's the casual fans who are just there for the party that might not necessarily be watching if they're by themselves at home. So I think there's a lot of mystery sort of surrounding what impact this is going to have on viewership. It'll still be the most viewed sporting event and television program of the year, but, uh, in terms of what the number will be relative to past years. I think there's some intrigue there.
0: I mean, as you kind of take a look at that data, I mean, you would assume that still it's going to be a massive audience, as you put it, the biggest audience of any sporting event and maybe the biggest audience of any televised event of the year. It's just not in the same format that we're used to where there are no, or at least way fewer, bigger parties of people that are getting together um, to do this from an advertising perspective perspective. Do you have a sense of how the advertisers are looking at this? And is, I guess, the bet for them a little bit different of how many eyeballs they're actually going to attract?
1: Yeah. I mean, you've seen uh, some really interesting trends this year with uh, brands that have sort of become stalwarts of the Super Bowl uh, Budweiser, Pepsi, Coca Cola, uh, all uh, sitting this year out uh, amid the pandemic and, and new brands uh like DoorDash coming in and uh advertising on the super bowl for the first time so you'll you'll see some new uh faces in terms of commercials um and i think a lot of i think there's a lot of uh uncertainty uh among advertisers around the, the sort of tone to take this year mm. uh given the pandemic um you know coming off of a uh divisive uh you know, time politically. Um, our research shows that uh, likely viewers of the Super Bowl are are fairly receptive to uh, messaging around social justice and and those sort of things. Actually, um, they were considerably more likely than people who don't plan on watching the game to say that it's appropriate. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how many uh, how many brands you know try and make a statement.
0: Um, there was a piece. Uh, that you wrote that I found really interesting. And that was the betting market. Um, Obviously gambling is proliferating pretty quickly around the country. It's not ubiquitous, obviously, but it is in far more jurisdictions than it was two, three, four years ago. And even in this past year, the state of Virginia just passed it. There are others that have in this last election cycle that have passed sports gambling. And yet you wrote that fewer Americans are going to be betting on the most bet game in this country. How does that, I don't know how that jibes. I can't quite figure out how that happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we have that 16% of Americans uh, plan on placing some sort of monetary wager, uh, on, on the game. Uh, and that amounts to um, about one in five, uh, people who say they're likely to watch the game. The interesting thing we found is that people in, uh states where betting has yet to be legalized are just as likely to bet on the game as people in legal states. So even though there are um I believe six more states uh than the previous Super Bowl that uh where betting's allowed plus Washington DC, um which means thirty six million more people are allowed to bet on the game. Um that doesn't necessarily matter because um you know they're, the people in those jurisdictions aren't any more likely to bet uh than people in in illegal betting markets
0: have you gotten anywhere to the why on that are we too soon on that because as you know in following this i mean it is a wild west land grab there is massive amounts of marketing dollars being spent by all of these different outlets to try to acquire new users and at the biggest betting moment of the year it's not working. I mean, that, that really is, it almost doesn't make any sense.
1: It's interesting. I think that a lot of these operators are still at the, are at the point where they're competing for share among established bettors rather than going for, uh, you know, people that haven't been betting previously. They're going for people who might have been betting offshore previously with a bookie, with friends and family, and trying to bring those people into the legal betting fold. And specifically with their particular company, um, you're seeing, you know, a lot of promotions, like you said, a lot of marketing, um, but it seems to be mainly targeted right now at uh, established bettors um, and people in the industry seem to think it's going to take uh, a lot more time to uh, to reach people who weren't previously betting, to educate them. Uh, and, and we actually found that uh, more than half of people in legal betting jurisdictions don't even know that sports betting is legal in their jurisdiction. So huh. they have a little bit of an education hurdle to overcome.
0: Yeah. And, and, and there also is a, I get what sounds like in what I read, what you wrote about that. It's not just an easy, Hey, you can do this. Here's how you bet on sports that there seems to be, an education on how to do it, which I guess for us that have been in this for a long time seems surprising you know on some level to hear that. but I guess that is the reality of it,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it varies state by state. I mean, in states like New Jersey, it is as simple as sort of logging on to one of these sports books, creating an account um, and and placing a bet. But in other states, um, there's no online or mobile betting or. You have to sign up in person somewhere in order to uh, be authorized to bet online. So there are some hurdles in different states that make it uh, not as easy, especially for people who aren't going out of their way to, to seek it out.
0: This matchup, a dream come true, obviously, for the league and on it, for sports fans. I mean, you typically don't get the legend and the soon to be each other in a moment like this. As you kind of surveyed around um, Who America likes. What did you find out about Chiefs and Buccaneers in the Super Bowl?
1: Yeah, definitely a great matchup. Uh, We actually saw that, you know, we had done a poll on how many people planned to watch uh, prior to the uh, championship round of the playoffs. And after and found uh, that likely viewership went up a few points based on the Brady Mahomes matchup. Uh, So that's, you know, like you said, a dream matchup for the league and for CBS. Uh, In terms of who uh, people are rooting for. Um, 38% of Americans said they are rooting for uh, Kansas City compared to 27% who said they're rooting for Tampa Bay. And based on what we saw in our polling, it seems like whether you love or hate Tom Brady, that seems to be the biggest factor uh, dictating who you are rooting for. Uh, if, you, if you love Brady, huh. you're rooting for Tampa. If you don't, then you're rooting hard uh, for Kansas City. So it seems to be as simple as that.
0: Uh, you also found out who are the most like skill players too. Could can you kind of share some of your findings there?
1: Yeah, um, we found that Drew Brees uh, for for the second straight year. You know, we we were doing this. Um, we've been doing this every year. Um, the most popular NFL players uh, ahead of ahead of each season's playoffs, and uh, Drew Brees uh, once again was the most popular, uh, which is a little bit interesting considering um, you know he took a little bit of a. Uh, public relations hit over the summer with some of his comments, um, about, uh, about the American flag and kneeling. And so, um, he was able to bounce back from that pretty quickly and, and remains the, the number one, uh, most liked player, but, uh, right behind him, Patrick Mahomes, uh, and then, uh, Aaron Rodgers and, and Russell Wilson, Brady, uh, like, like we mentioned a moment ago, very polarizing. He's by far the most well-known player in the league, uh, but you have, you know, a lot of haters as as well as uh, you know people who love him. Um, but he has seen his uh, has has seen sentiment toward him go up since moving from the uh, Patriots to the Buccaneers.
0: Uh, go up? Oh, well, that's interesting. Go up? Because I was wondering if your data showed it regionalized that the polarization was in the Northeast about love and hate of Tom Brady.
1: No, and I mean. Um, I actually, I read something today that uh, Fanatics is saying that a lot of their sales of Tom Brady merchandise um, is still coming from the Northeast, uh, including in New York and and in Massachusetts. Uh, So, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, Boston area seems to still be rooting for him.
0: All right, let's get into one of the other um, what could be big problems eventually here for the NFL and for live sports for that matter in general which is a piece that you wrote about Gen Z that is entitled Gen Z's disinterest in live sports. Can you kind of go into detail about what you learned about the young generation of consumers and and how they're treating live sports maybe differently than the generations prior to them?
1: Yeah. So uh, we've done a lot of research in the past uh, six months or so about Gen Z and how, how they are um, engaging with sports and, and their appetite for sports. And we found that, Just over half of Gen Zers identify as sports fans, which seems like a lot until you, you know, look at the overall population and you see all adults 63% uh, identify uh, as sports fans and among their direct predecessors, millennials, 69% identify as sports fans. So there's a considerable drop off there. And then uh, in terms of consumption, uh, they're about half as likely uh, to say that they watch sports. Uh, live at least once a week, and about twice as likely to say that they never watch sports compared to huh. uh, millennials. So there, there's a definite uh, issue there. I think uh, it, it's well it, it's understood that uh, Gen Z and and younger audiences uh, are consuming media very differently, and the sports world, you know, seems to be just in the very early stages of. Uh, adapting to that.
0: Is there a why yet? Do they know why there's been this disconnect with, with the youngest generation?
1: Um, I mean, I think part of it has just has to do with, um, you know, the move away sort of from traditional television, you know, uh, millennials grew up watching sporting events on TV, whereas uh, Gen Z, uh, they seem to be consuming more highlight packages, uh, clips on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, that sort of thing. And getting those those people who are sort of just catching the best moments of a game to sit down and, and watch uh, from start to finish or anything close to that, it, you know, has seemed to be a challenge. And, and there are some people are, are seeking to address that. There's a company called Buzzer um, that is currently developing, you know, a solution where for 99 cents or so, you can tune in live to specific moments of a game. Um, But it'll be interesting to see whether, you know, leagues and sports properties are willing to sort of adopt those things, given the sort of money machine that they've had for so long with traditional uh, TV bundle and cable. But, you know, we've seen a lot of news and streaming and even in the past couple of weeks that, that indicate that there is an understanding that things are changing. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that, Influences fandom among Gen Z, but uh, there is definitely a gap to make up.
0: And do you think that we're going to see more intertwined traditional sports with esports and gaming? Is is that the direction you see to try to recapture that audience?
1: Yeah, I mean, every major sports property is is trying it at this point, um, and some more successful than others. I think the pandemic uh, really accelerated some of those efforts. You saw NASCAR. Uh, essentially, replaced their weekly uh, race with a virtual race, including, you know, real-life drivers. And now, even though they're going to have a full racing schedule this upcoming year, they're still going to have, uh, you know, real drivers in uh, running virtual races uh, in the lead-up to those uh, real races. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a big. Um, it's a big sign that they they see this as an important way to engage with uh, a different audience and to sort of build even greater engagement among their core audience. Um, so I think NASCAR has done a really good job mm-hmm. with that, and I think there's a lot of other examples of, of sports properties that are leaning heavily into esports.
0: You can read all of Alex's work at Morning Consult and all of the great work leading into the most strange Super Bowl that of my lifetime. Alex Silverman from Morning Consult. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks, Bram. A pleasure.
0: On the next Future Sport podcast, Shot Tracker might be taking their hoops technology onto the gridiron. Um, but we think that it's a really, really exciting opportunity for us. Um, you know, when in, in basketball, in a smaller space, we're able to track, you know, 20, 20 guys shooting. You know, if 20 guys shot at the same time, we'd be able to tell you who made it and who missed it. Yeah. And then they could grab each other's rebound and shoot it again, and we could tell you dynamically, you know, who's got different ball so i mean it's it's really up our wheelhouse that's davion ross co-founder and president at shot tracker who will discuss innovation in hoops tracking technology and how his company will be expanding to other sports as well that will do it for this episode as always the future is now this is the future sport podcast i'm bram weinstein